good boyfriend. Eh? Definitely in those right there. Uh, you ever, you ever wondered why that Star Wars guru was a little long being here named Yoda? Because the Hebrew word for I know is Yada. I'm not kidding you, but that's terrible. So let me give you the Jewish, excuse me, the Yiddish word of the day. This comes from a farm. You may have grown up listening to come down the lyrics of the Burning Sherman Right? So you may have heard the word of Shirley Singing, and I'll say two Yiddish words and they'll say, Shlamil, Shlamazel. Often people will talk to me, right? Y'all know the song, right? You grew up watching the word of Shirley What does Shlamil mean in Yiddish? Well, Shlamil is, you know, that phone call, check this out. Shlamil is an interesting Hebrew word. Remember, in Jewish and Yiddish, that word can be both a verb and a noun. That makes it very interesting. This is Shlemiel. Shlemiel is somebody who can't help but knock it over when it comes to work. You know who Shlemiel I bet you do. Shlemiel knocks over whatever glass of water, bowl of soup. doesn't matter if you've got something in it. If he or she's going to knock over, that's Shlemiel. You say, well, Pastor, what's the Shlemiel? Shlemiel is the person that the Shlemiel knocked over. You say, that is just a picture of Lorraine and Shirley. That's the Jewish word of the day. All right? So hopefully I'll put the smile on your face. Let's take a look at tonight's uh, message called Rejoicing is from the Lord. Or maybe joy is on the inside. Let's take a look at that. If you have your Bibles, would you turn to please to the book of Romans, chapter 5. Romans, chapter 5. We're going to read verses 1 through 2 here. The Bible says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. To whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. If you're joining us online this evening, we can welcome you as well as you consider being right in the sanctuary with us, right there in that church, being a part of what God is doing here. Easy to sit on the couch and praise God, and let me tell you, it's a blessing to get off the couch and be in the church service. Come be a part so, once again, Romans 5, verses 1 through 2, we read then that we are to rejoice in hope of the glory of God. So, joy goes a little bit beyond a smile. In fact, when you think about something that's joyful, and we're talking about rejoicing, or joy, you're going to get into those same Greek words. We're going to take a look at that Greek word here in a second. So, when you when you take a look at rejoicing, you go a little bit beyond a smile. What is Christian joy? Christian joy, most of us would say, it's when God answers my prayers and the Cowboys make it into playoffs, right? Wrong. That's not what Christian joy is. Our joy goes way beyond a smile. It's been a smile outward, but joy is inward. Can I get an amen on that? Joy is inward, and that means we're looking at God doing something inside of the Christian. A smile at its best can last a few hours, but joy is eternal. Joy is eternal, and joy comes from the Lord. Now, in the Greek language, the shortest verse in the Bible, 1 Thessalonians 5.16. Let's see if you can pull that up for us here a second. There it is right there. The shortest verse in Greek in the Bible. Now, someone said the shortest verse in English is John 11.35, Jesus wept. But the shortest verse in Greek is 1 Thessalonians 5.16. What it says literally is rejoice evermore. Someone said always, and that's a good translation. Rejoice evermore is how I translate that. And I actually put that Greek word down there for you. And you can take a look at it. And it's pantote kilate. Say it with me. Pantote kilate. Well, you know, I've been working on my Greek here lately. 
And what it means is, <laughs> it's all Greek to me. Somebody said, Arsic. Arsic, right? Santante, right? Always. And of course, Kilate means rejoice. And it comes from the Greek word Hilo. So you have learned, if you've been to my Sunday school classes, you've learned how to sing Jingle Bells, right? In Greek. Tikara, Tikara. And you see how the rejoicing in this Hilo. And I rejoice. All right, so there's the shortest verse in the Greek Bible. First Thessalonians 5 16. Let's take a look at that next slide. We get ready to move up and here. Um, this is the picture that we have here. We rejoice evermore. As Christians, we rejoice always, our Bible says. And we can have fullness of joy. Joy, however, though, and you need to remember this joy is not something that happens on the outside. Joy is something that happens on the inside. Joy happens inside. We live in a generation that is seeking happiness. How do we find our happiness nowadays? You know where our kids find happiness? Right here. In fact, adults find happiness here. I want you to know that this particular little idol is a gateway into things that you do not have at the time. This particular phone, when you put it in the hands of your kids, is a gateway to things you would dream they would do. You say, they're not doing it. You put it in their hands. They have access. They go to public school systems. They're going to have things airdropped to them that they dream of. They're not going to say That is the way we go. That is how it moves with that. However, as a Christian, we're not worried about external joy. We're not worried about what makes us happy on the outside. We're worried about having joy on the inside. The joy is an inside job. And we live in a generation that's seeking happiness in everything that it does. Everyone thinks it's the same. Don't worry. Be happy, y'all. And remember singing that song? Don't worry. Be happy. Don't worry. Be happy. Right? I think it's good advice. It's terrible advice. We're not to be happy all the time. And people are looking at me now like a cow at a brand new date and say, Pastor, what do you mean? Well, there's a difference between happiness and joy. Did you know that? There is a difference between that. And so I want to ask you the question, what is the difference between happiness and joy? The Bible doesn't tell us to be happy all the time. The Bible tells us to rejoice always. See, happiness depends upon what happens. That's why we call it happy. It comes from the word happenstance. That means what happens is what makes us happy. And as Christians, we aren't bothered about what happens. Our joy comes, somebody help me out now, our joy comes from where? Our joy comes from the Lord. Your rejoicing is inside you. And though we base it all the time on things that happen outside of us, we need to remember as Christians, we rejoice inside because the Lord lives inside us. What is the difference between happiness and joy? Happiness depends upon what happens. If we put our trust in happiness, then we're going to be victims of our Our happenstance will change what God has done. How do you know that's true? The Bible does not tell us to rejoice in circumstances. The Bible tells us that we are rejoice in the Lord always. Look at me in Philippians 4 4 to see what it says for. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, rejoice. Love the Apostle Paul. A little emphasis. A little, if we're mathematics tonight, I wish Brother Dad was here, we squared it, right? Rejoice squared. The Bible says we're rejoiced in the Lord always. And since the Lord ever changes, we're to rejoice evermore. Can I get an amen on that? 
Happiness is cosmetic as well. It is. It does. Let me tell you right now. If you are walking on an airplane and your goal is to evangelize, you ain't going to evangelize anybody doing this. You're going to evangelize everybody when you do this. So let me tell you, Christian, there's some practical advice. Number one, don't let the world dictate what makes you happy. Let the Lord dictate what makes you happy. Let me tell you, God's already given us reason to rejoice. What kind of reasons are those? Number one, are you ready? Write this down. Put it on your refrigerator door. Take it home and make sure you look at it once or twice a week to remember, to remind you that you need to be rejoicing in the Lord. What has Jesus done to make us joyful? Are you ready for this? Number one, He has conquered the grave. Amen? He has given us the Holy Spirit. He has defeated the devil. He has led captivity captive. And church, it doesn't matter what's happening outside of this body. We are born again. And because we're born again, we need to remember that our, our home is not here on this world, but in heaven. But in heaven. Remember, our happenstance changed, but God never changes. The Bible says we're going to rejoice in the Lord always. And since the Lord never changes, we're to rejoice evermore. Remember that your happiness is cosmetic. And remember, cosmetic can be removed. It can be changed like your lipstick. It can be changed like your eyeshadow. That's what happiness is like. And you do it all the time. You can be happy one minute, and somebody come in and tell you the electric bill is due, and your frown will turn around. Think about that. However, joy is like character. Happiness comes from outside circumstances, but joy comes from Happiness meets surface needs. Joy Happiness is like a thermometer that registers conditions. Joy is like a thermostat that regulates conditions. Think about that. Love, system we have, love, family, dad, stuff. All electronic can be controlled by a phone or controlled by a computer or a personal life. I love that thermostat hot in the room, you go to the thermostat and change the temperature. When it comes to joy, there should be nothing in the world that can make you uncomfortable. Your joy doesn't come from what the world does. It doesn't come from what the world gives. It doesn't come from how the world treats you. Your joy comes because Jesus has given you new life. That's what joy is and it meets our deepest needs. Happiness evaporates and disappears in times of suffering. Joy frequently intensifies the Joy intensifies the times of suffering. I think about the times of suffering I've had in my life. I think about the times of fear in my life. And when I turn to the Lord, my fear turns to joy. My suffering turns to joy. Because He does not leave us, nor does He ever forsake us. And let me tell you, He will walk with you, yay, through the valley of shadow. He most certainly will. Happiness always works best when it's rooted in joy. Joy is overlaid with happiness, and it's a wonderful thing. Think about that. If your joy is got happiness in it, you're the happiest person in the world. People ask me all the time, why are you happy? I've been born again. I have a Savior. I have a God in heaven who thinks I worth for. My joy is overlaid with happiness, and it's a wonderful thing. Joy is not the truth. It may function even better when happiness is taken away from Silas. Okay, how does that work? Ask Paul and Silas if they were in the prison. 
nursing their sons. They began praising the Lord. Joy can be intensified when the world tries to remove your happiness. Joy frequently intensifies the times of suffering, and joy is often intertwined with suffering and with some of you know. Happiness always works best when it's rooted in joy. Let me say that again. Happiness always works best when rooted in joy. If joy is overlaid with happiness, then it's a wonderful, wonderful thing. However, we should remember that joy is not dependent upon cruel to people who are sorrowed to smile and be happy. All the funerals I perform, that every once in a while somebody says, hey, put, a, put on a happy face. I tell them it's okay. It is okay to hurt. It is okay to miss. And it is okay to be human. And as a human, we please. That is okay. People say, Jesus said with me, if you read John 11, 35, Jesus well, It is okay for Jesus to cry. Promise you it's okay to you. Promise. It's cruel to tell people who are in sorrow to smile and to be happy. People are not happy all the time. We are not expected to smile all the time. Even though modern day Christianity says that we should be stoic, we should be with a frozen smile on our face, accepting anything and everything. The Bible says that the Lord Jesus was a man of sorrow and acquainted with grief. Look at me in Isaiah 16. He despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid it, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. Yet the Bible still speaks of the joy of the Lord. Look at me in Psalm 45, verse 10. You love righteousness and hate wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you, Jesus, the man of sorrow, with the oil of gladness more than your today. This is a life of tragedy, sorrow, and heartache. But we need to remember that our joy is not dependent upon happiness. Yet, in sorrow and heartache and difficulty, we can have joy. We certainly can. Happiness is an outside job, but joy comes from the inside from the Lord. This memory joy is important. It's extremely important. It is a mark of a Christian. This is one of the fruits of the Spirit. God's Spirit makes us loving and happy, peaceful and patient and kind and good, gentle and joyful and self-controlled. There's nothing more winsome or attractive to bringing people to Jesus than the joy of the Lord. A cold, dry faith is absolutely When David got out of fellowship with God, he had lost his joy. Did you know that? When David he lost his joy. And when he lost his joy, he stopped being a soul winner. And so I want to remind you, if you're not winning souls because you're not rejoicing, then the Lord will be in Psalm 51, verses 12 and 13 here. Restore to me, this is David. David, after his sin with Bathsheba, restore to me the joy of thy salvation and uphold thee by your generous feet. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners shall be converted to thee. Restore me that joy, and I'll go back out soul-winning God. The joy of the Lord makes us soul. Joy is the proof that we have what we have. Really. Joy is necessary to bring an unsaved people to Jesus Christ. I believe that with all my heart. If you want to see anybody who said, yeah, I'm glad Jesus saved me, but I ain't happy at all. 
I'm glad Jesus saved me, but everywhere I go, the devil kicks me on the rear end. You know what? People are like, I don't want anything to do with that church. Speaking of churches, let me get off. Time with some different churches today. And some of our theological differences came up. And none of these churches were far off from our theological spectrum. Our theological spectrum is the Bible is inerrant. Somebody say amen. The Bible is inspired. Somebody say amen. The Bible is infallible. Somebody say amen. It is our standard. That's what it is. However, I spent some time with some other folks that And they came out with some you know, that sounds like the was. Southern Baptist tendencies, if you will, but for more of an independent. And here's the point that I'm bringing up, though. General Baptists have a different mindset. This is what you mean by that. Here's the difference. This is why years ago they had big splits in the Southern Baptist community. When General Baptists and Southern Baptists thought we could work together, and they can to a degree, until something happens, and this will happen. And this will come in how some of the things are also going to believe in you. They can't believe in that. General Baptist says, General Baptist says, well, inherently man is good. Some Baptist who say, inherently what? What the Bible tells us. The Bible tells us there is no, none good. No, not one. In fact, if you'll read Genesis chapter 6, God says, man's heart is nothing but evil from his youth. No, that's for it completely. And so as the General Baptist is bringing that idea, well, because everyone's good, we should bring that good out in us. And sin is kind of small. Sin is mistakes, okay? And so, what you do is you get saved from your sins. And you probably heard that before. Come to save you from your sins. That's not what you See, you don't get saved from yourself. You know why you get saved? From the wrath of God. From the wrath of God because you have to. It's not a mistake. It is a total okay. That's the difference. That's what brings the difference. And that's what ends up in a, well, we just do it differently. No, we do it unbiblically. Biblically means we understand that we're depraved and we need to call All right, so let me get back off the soapbox and back on the joy. How do you have joy when you sit with a bunch of general badges? Remember that it's over in the house. <laughs> and amongst other churches. Somebody said something about General Baptist, what do you think? Uh-huh. You're a General Baptist? Yeah? Uh-huh. So they don't usually say that as a standard of their faith. It's just inherently like an assembly school and things of that nature. I don't know this because my first school was a General Baptist school. Alright, so with that being said, let's get back into what we're talking about is joy. Joy is proof that what we have is real and it satisfies. And it does. Joy is necessary to bring an unsaved people to Jesus Christ, and I believe that with all my heart. And joy is necessary to lead me to live in the Christian life. Look at me in Psalm 100, verse 2. Check it out right there. Serve the Lord with gladness. Now, speaking the same Greek words that we just seen right there, come before His presence with singing. Look at me in Nehemiah 8, verse 10. Then He said to them, Give your way. Eat, eat the fat, drink the sweet, and send portions to those. For whom nothing is prepared, for this day is holy to the Lord. Do not sorrow, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord 
is our strength. We don't worry about what happens in the world. We don't worry about what the world thinks of us. Our joy doesn't come from the world. Our joy comes from Jesus Christ. Amen? So the joy of the Lord is our strength. And that joy is what lubricates the Christian life. Say, Pastor, illustrate. Sure, I used to be a wonderful man before my eyes closed down. I used to love to work on cars. If there was something that would tear a car up, it could be anything in the world. You know what that is? Forget to put oil in the car. Forget to put oil in it. If you drive your car without oil in it, you're going to go a block or two and say, my car is running hot. My car is making a funny noise. Yes, it is. My car is no longer running. It ain't going to run anymore. Because it has no duplicate. You don't have Jesus in you. You don't have joy. And that joy is a lubrication that keeps us moving in this life. It's what keeps us going on. It is what we hold on to. The world is not going to give you joy. You know, the world is going to give you peace. Jesus tells us that. The world is going to give you peace. I'm going to give you peace. And ladies and gentlemen, the world is going to give us joy. Jesus is going to give us joy. And so we need to remember that joy lubricates life. And joy that lifts from burdens. It's joy that takes the pain, the dreariness, and weariness out of any of our work. There are four ingredients to joy. Are you ready? Four ingredients to joy. So we're going to take a look at these quickly now. I'm going to run out of time. Number one, if you want to have joy in your life, you better start living a clean life as a Christian. Look again with me in Romans 5 and verse 1 through 2. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Also, we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. Grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We need to live a clean life. And to be clean and joy before God, to know that there is no sin between us and God, causes indescribable joy. Romans 5, 1 2 tells us we have been justified by faith, peace with God, and we also have access into faith and grace where we stand in hope and glory of God. Joy comes from having peace with God. Peace with God comes by the grace of God. And the grace of God brings justification. And justification, guess what? Brings joy. Faith brings justification. Justification brings peace. And peace brings joy. Joy comes from knowing that our sins are forgiven. So everyone always has to to deal with justification. Justification is a legal term. We've talked about it here many times. The Bible says that righteousness is reckoned the word reckon is a bookkeeping term. You might have an older King James version, and you might use the word reconcile. Reckon is that bookkeeping term. Everything we've done is recorded in God's book. Don't believe me? Look at me in Matthew 12, verse 17. And I say to you that for every idle word that you may speak, they will give account of in the day of judgment. This is Jesus speaking here. We will give an account of when you argue, when you critique, when you're just mad for no reason, you're going to give an account of Look at me in Psalm 139, verse 2. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thoughts afar off. God doesn't just judge what you do. He judges what you think. He judges what you say. Here we have Psalm 139, verse 2. He understands my thoughts afar off. He will judge our thought life as well. He knows our words, our thoughts, our deeds, and our failures. He knows everything that we've ever done. He knows every lie that we've ever told, every vile thought, and every lustful deed that we've done. 
He knows everything that we ought to have done. All these have put in the race. When God justifies us, He takes all the things that we have done from our side of the when God justifies us, and He puts them on Jesus. He takes them from our side and puts them to where Jesus In other words, He takes them from the should have to done. The could have to done. The didn't to done. Unclean. He takes all our sins and puts them on Jesus' side of the ledger. With His blood that shed on Calvary, Jesus writes across our sins the word And God takes the righteousness, holiness, and purity of Jesus Christ and puts that on our side of the ledger. The Bible says that He imputes to us righteousness. Just as David also describes the blessedness of a man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from what God imputes that to us. This is called justification. When we are justified, we are clean and have great joy. Look at me in Luke chapter 10. We'll have the time to read all this in 1 to 20, but I want to remind you that this is the story of the 70 that Jesus sent out. And you remember, as the 70 returned, they returned with great joy. Just kind of focusing on this point again. As Jesus reminds them, they're rejoicing. They're saying, Lord, demons were subject to us. Jesus will tell them, don't be joyful. Demons are subject to you. Rejoice rather that your names are written in the Lamb's book of life. See, it's not what the world gives you. You can rejoice because of where your name is. So we're going to go left and not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Heard me preach the sermon here at Ross Navy. We had the church, and we called it subjective and object of Christianity. And subjective Christians are the ones that say, My happiness and my joy are subject to what's happening to me right now. An object of Christian says, The object of my rejoicing is heaven, and nothing on this world can take that away. Not a thing. Not a thing. So Jesus sent 70 out with great power. They came back so happy and proclaimed that even the demons are subject to them in his name. And of course, Jesus told them differently. Better to have our names written in heaven on God's side of the ledger than have demons print before us. Incidentally, when we accept the sin, it takes the joy out of our lives. You know that? When a Christian allows sin back into his life, it destroys that joy. This is the reason why David prayed, Restore unto me the joy of our salvation. Look at me again, Psalm 51. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. He did not pray for salvation to be restored, Christian. He restored it. He prayed that his joy would be restored. Once someone saved, they cannot lose their salvation. Sickness, broken homes, or wayward child cannot take the joy out of our hearts. Only sin takes the joy out of our hearts. When someone is mean to us, he cannot take the joy from our hearts. He takes the joy out of the other person. Our reaction to what he does can take the joy out of our hearts. If we do it in sin. If we want to see who a person is, then don't watch their actions. Watch them reach. We can plan our actions, but our reactions show who we really are. Look with me in Matthew 5, verse 11, verse 15. Blessed are you when they revel and persecute you, say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my 
Rejoice and be exceedingly glad. Now, I'll back back up. Go to verse 11. Blessed are you when they say all these things for my sake, not for your sake. Some people will say they're saying bad things about me. I'm blessed. Well, let me tell you, as Jesus is going to say, I'm going to do it for my Make it fun of your Christianity. When they're making fun of your holiness, when they're making fun of your joy in the Lord, you are blessed as all get. Here's the deal, though. When we let sin come in, we let our joy walk out. We let our joy walk out. We need to remember it's our reaction to show who we really are. And the only kind of sin that can take the joy out of our lives is our own sin, not someone else's. When we are justified, the burden of sin is gone. There's nothing between us and our Lord. And that's where the joy is. It's the joy of knowing that there's nothing between our soul and the Savior. The only thing that can erode away the joy is when we allow sin to come back in. Then we're going to have to be like David to play. Restore to me the joy of thy salvation. See, we will see this joy when we are saved. The most miserable person on earth is not an unsaved person. The most miserable person on earth is a saved person out of fellowship with God who walks the door. Now, we're taking a look at what joy is. Psalms 5, but I'm only going to get to two, and that's what we're going to stop tonight. You say, Pastor, finish this Sunday night. Now, another time. When we're joyful about it. Let's close in that word of prayer. Then. I want to give you just a picture real quick of what the other ones are going to do. That joy gives you confidence. We're joyful when we're confident. We're joyful when we're committed. And we're joyful when we're in communion with God. We're going to close in that word of prayer. And I hope to see you guys Sunday morning. Let me tell you right now, we're going to be looking at transfiguration. Start looking into it. Find out a little bit about Jesus Christ. All right? Let's pray together. Father God, we depart your house tonight and be blessed. Fill us with your goodness. And I pray, Lord, that every Christian in this room would have the joy of the Lord. If there be any here tonight, Lord, that has stepped out of fellowship, Lord, they've lost their joy. As for they lost their song, they lost their temper, and they were just a part. Just let tonight be the night, Lord, they say, like David did, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. And then I'll get back to holiness. Help us to be mindful, Lord, that the world is a good case, whether we're joyful or not. So I pray, Lord, as we depart this house, fill us with your spirit, give us opportunity to share the gospel, bring us safely back to you, and have to worship you. This is Jesus, mighty name we pray. Amen. God bless you all. Have a great night. Shut down a little bit.